Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us, and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast. when Ron does the giving video before one of my messages. I never know exactly what he's going to say, but love that guy to death. And uh, can we give it up? If you were here, we had a series called Story of the Universe. Ron taught the best message I've ever heard on the book of Revelation. Uh, If you missed that, you know, you might be seeing things happening in Israel, wondering, is it the end times? Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, but there are a lot of things in scripture about armies surrounding Jerusalem and Ron gave the best message I've ever heard on the book of Revelation. If you missed it or you know someone who's curious about that, point them to our website where all our messages are. Well, a kind of funny story behind the scenes. The story of the universe was a four-part series. I kicked it off with a message on Genesis. And then Ron kind of joked about the, the bitter reality that he was tasked with summarizing the whole Old Testament in one week and then with teaching on the book of Revelation. So in this series about reaching people who we love, who are far from Jesus, and people who don't think like Christians, there's a week about sexuality, politics, and other hot-button issues. So you can imagine as Ron and I dialogued about who should take this week, uh, the kind of sense among both of us that uh, it's my turn uh, to carry one of the difficult weeks. That's actually what we're going to talk about tonight. When you love someone, but they're far from God. And maybe one of these political or controversial issues uh, is something that whenever you try to talk, it comes up and you just feel like, how do I possibly show Jesus to them when they think so differently from me? That's exactly what we're talking about tonight. And to set it up, I want to show you this very short video from our friends at Steiger International, who really their heartbeat, their calling from God is to reach young people around the world, really 18 to 25, 18 to 35 year olds globally, many who think in a post-Christian or non-Christian point of view, and that's becoming the normal way of thought in the United States. We're literally seeing that change in our lifetimes. And so uh, as you watch this video, very brief, I want you to just open your heart that you'd allow God to break your heart for the people you know, and maybe those you don't know, who God will bring into your life Uh, who don't yet have the hope of Christ. Let's watch this together. Our world is in crisis. The lives of an entire generation are being destroyed by the enemy. The atheist, the deconstructed, the prodigal, the one who walked away. But it's not just out there. It's in here. These are our sons, our daughters, our grandkids and neighbors and friends. Our hearts break for them. We've cried for them. And at times, we've wondered if there's any hope. There is hope. Our God is active in this world. And He is looking to strongly support those whose hearts are fully His. He's calling you to partner with Him to reach those who would not walk into a church. The time to act is now. Are you ready?
So that's very much the lay of the land for this series called Not Beyond Reach. Now, it's not just about one generation. It's about anyone in our lives who's far from God, and especially those people we love, people we're related to or we work with and we care about them. We want them to experience all that Jesus offers in this life and in the next life. And so today we're talking about how to reach them, especially when there's these issues that maybe you both feel very strongly about and in very different ways. Uh, Let's start with kind of a a broad look at how quickly Americans are turning away from Christianity and how consistently. This data is from the Pew Research Center, kind of the gold standard of sociology data. The chart starts on the left in 1972, and you can see that 90% of Americans self-identified as Christians. So that's nine out of 10 people In 1972, even with all the craziness going on back then in the 60s and 70s, 9 out of 10 would have said, I am a Christian. Whether Catholic or Protestant or nominal, they at least would have respected the Bible, thought generally high of churches and pastors and things like that. And you can see just the steady decline to where uh, most recently it's down now to about 60%. And that includes a lot of people who don't go to church anywhere. They're very nominal, but they grew up going to church. So when they get a religious survey, they still check Christianity. But you see, at the same time that Christianity is decreasing, this rapid increase of the religiously unaffiliated, or what some researchers call the nuns, because uh, not N-U-N, like a Catholic lady, okay, but N-O-N-E, as in on the religious survey where it says Christian, atheist, Muslim, Hindu, none, they check none. I don't really believe anything. That's the fastest growing religious belief in the United States is to not believe anything, an agnostic. This turn away from Christianity gets more pronounced with each younger generation. And look at this. I mean, at the bottom, you've got uh, the silent generation, then the baby boomers, Gen X, millennial, and then Gen Z. And the point is, this is a trend that has been in play for at least 60 or 70 years. And so you can kind of echo it out. The generation below Gen Z, that maroon on the right, that 34% of them don't believe anything, that'll probably be 45%. And the next generation will be 56%. And the next generation will be 60-some percent. And it will have totally flipped in our lifetimes the morality, the beliefs, of a nation. That's what we are living through. With the decrease in Christianity comes a correlating increase in suicide, self-harm, addiction, anxiety, sexual brokenness. So interesting that you look at the graphs of all of those and they increase as Christianity decreases. Suicide, an expression of total hopelessness, of brokenness, is now the fastest growing cause of death for people between the age of 10 and 24. So what do we do? And how do we reach the people in our lives who think so differently, just foundational assumptions about sexuality, right and wrong, are so opposed and different? How can we even present Jesus to someone when their foundational assumptions are are so different? And maybe you've tried to, and it's resulted in kind of a a fight or a disagreement or a bunch of awkwardness. Last week, my friend Aaron Pierce of Steiger International, he kicked off this series. And I loved it when he said that typically as Bible-believing Christians, in response to these difficult 
issues, we tend to go to one of two extremes. We retreat because we don't want to deal with conflict, or some who are more comfortable with conflicts just get really militant about it, right? Like, well, we're right, you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. And Aaron did a really good job of showing us from the word of God that neither of those extremes are what we're called to, but we are called to engage with love and with courageous compassion. I loved it when he really described that everyone around us is actually longing for relationship and connection, even if they're going after it in a very broken way. And I love that he described you don't have to be a pastor You don't have to know all the answers to be used by God to be a friend who can help them see what Jesus is like. He helped us see, I love this quote from his message, that we, followers of Jesus, have the ultimate answers to the cry of a generation. We have these answers, and so tonight's about how do we posture ourselves in these relationships so that those answers can get through. Aaron pointed out that Jesus brings truth to a generation that's confused. He brings healing to the sexually broken. He brings peace to the hopeless and ultimate relationship with God. This is for all people of all ages. And I hope you felt stirred and motivated that God wants to use you. He wants to use you. He doesn't want any of us on the bench in this game, okay? We're all supposed to be on the field. We're all a part of God's plan to change the world around us. And so I want you tonight to really get personal. When we talk about statistics and generations and nations, it's easy to almost look at it as an outside observer. But I really want to ask you in your life, what would it look like for you to bring someone to Jesus this next year? Well, in the Gospel of Mark, we're told about this time in Jesus' earthly ministry when Jesus was starting to do miracles and word was spreading. And though Jesus is not physically on earth right now, the same thing was happening that as people would hear about Jesus, they would have assumptions and misconceptions and people were deciding for themselves, do I believe he's the Messiah or not? And it's in that context that in Mark chapter 2, we're told about this house where Jesus is speaking, he's seated as a rabbi, and the house fills up with people who've heard about him. And pretty soon all the windows are open, and there's a crowd of people surrounding the house. And in the midst of that, arrive these four men who've heard about this Messiah. And they're carrying their friend who's paralyzed on a stretcher. And the the hope of all four of these men, as well as the guy on the stretcher, is to get to Jesus, but they can't. In fact, I I love the first line of verse 4. It says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. And I kind of just want to park on that phrase. Who's the person in your life who you just feel like, I just... I want to bring them to Jesus, but I can't because there's just too much clutter. There's too much noise, uh, political parties, abortion, Israel. There's all these other things. And anytime I try to talk to him, all that stuff just gets in the way. And uh, John, I'd love to bring him to Jesus, but I don't know how. I love the principle here that these guys did whatever it took. They climb up on the roof. Maybe you've heard this story, but it never gets old to me. They dig a hole through this thatched roof long before shingles. 
And as they're digging a hole, can you just imagine inside the room, Jesus is teaching and it's packed with people and dirt and mud start falling down from the roof. And pretty soon a beam of sunlight shines down and they hear voices ahead and then they see hands reach through. It's quite the distraction. And eventually they open this hole up big enough and they lower down their friend on the stretcher. <laughs> but one of them must have poked his head down because they get him right in front of Jesus. I love verse five, seeing their faith. God responds to faith. The person you're praying for, if you don't yet have a specific person you're praying for who doesn't know Jesus, then right now in this message, start saying, God, show me someone this week who I'm supposed to be part of bringing them to you. God will respond to your faith for the people you know, people you don't yet know, but you're willing to be God's servant. And Jesus says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I just love that story. And it teaches us this. Our mission from God is not to get people to agree with us. Our mission from God is to get people to Jesus. Our mission from God isn't to get people to agree with us on a thousand different issues. It's to get them to Jesus. Now, hopefully what you believe about all those issues is based on the word of God. And here's the surprise. If you get them to Jesus and you teach them to read the Bible and they submit and obey Jesus, well, if your thinking is biblical, you'll end up agreeing in the end. But the point isn't to get them to agree with you. The point is to get them to Jesus. And frankly, if you really love someone, and anytime you try, it's just friction, this is kind of a relief, isn't it? You can sit and listen to them share their opinion, which may be a completely unbiblical or, you know, the very opposite of what Jesus would say. If they don't yet know Christ, he's not calling you to correct their every wrong. He's calling you to get them to him, get them to Jesus. This visual, I want you to think of this as a funnel moving from left to right here. On the left, we have what I would just call unchristian thinking, thinking that is of this world. We're told in scripture that Satan is the prince of this world. He's the ruler of the air. So there are all sorts of popular ideas, not only in American culture, but in Muslim culture and all kinds of cultures around the world that are actually demonic, satanic ideas. And when someone's a slave to those ways of thinking, they're not just going to wake up one day and, and change their thinking. The only way their thinking will change, and there's lots of scripture for this, I'll show you some references later, is to get them to the cross, to get them to Jesus. And the moment that they surrender and receive Jesus, what are we taught in scripture? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now their thinking is going to start to change. And now our work on the right side of the cross is to train that new believer to think more and more like Jesus and to teach them to read the Bible. But because we live in a society, a culture that was largely Christian, a lot of times we get the order of these two mixed up. Does that make sense? This seems simple. But I'll be honest that in my life, there's been plenty of times where I've gotten the order mixed up. And I'm expecting someone who's not a Christian to think like a Christian. And I get into arguing with them and then realize, John, what are you doing, you idiot? 
Why would I expect a non-Christian to think like a Christian? My goals should be to get them to Jesus. I sometimes see this with grandparents and parents of adult kids who mean incredibly well, but they struggle to, to put these in the right order. Their adult child or their grandchild isn't even clearly a Christian yet, and they get hung up in debating about these things where a non-Christian isn't going to agree. And, and if you've been in that, I just want to encourage you, there's kind of a permission to, to relax on some of that other stuff. It's not that those things aren't important. It's just that there's an order of operations. Remember that phrase, order of operations? I don't love that phrase because it's a math phrase, and I was terrible at math, but I do remember this little saying, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Was anyone else taught that? Which was a, a memory device to, to remember mathematical order of operations. In other words, if you've got a pretty big math equation... Well, you've got to do the parentheses first and then the exponents and then the multiplication, then the division. That's what the please excuse my dear Aunt Sally's all about. And if you get those out of order, you will get the incorrect answer. And the same is true about bringing people to Jesus. And after they receive Jesus, we should expect them to transform. And we should expect them to live increasingly free from sin. But actually, according to the scriptures, if they haven't met Jesus, we should expect them to keep sinning. And we should expect them to keep being deceived. And that actually shouldn't frustrate us because that's how it's described in the word of God that we, before we knew Christ, were slaves to sin. That our foolish minds were darkened. Some of these issues in our society like LGBTQ, transgender, abortion, Democrat versus Republican, Israel, Palestinian, Islam. There are people around us who God loves, who we love, and who we're called to love, who are just as paralyzed spiritually as that man on the stretcher was paralyzed physically. And I just want you to think of that story of those friends bringing the paralyzed man to Jesus. How sad would that story be if they had said to him, well... You need to stand up and walk to Jesus. We're all walking to Jesus. If you want to come to Jesus, you need to fix yourself. You need to, to you know, have enough faith and just hop up. If he won't get up and walk like me, then I won't take him to Jesus. Obviously, that would be absurd. The guy never would have gotten healed. And yet, sometimes we do that. We don't mean to. It's just that maybe we, for a while, we lived in a culture where most of the people assumed the Bible was true, and now all of a sudden, most of them don't. And so the way, the very foundation of our arguments is just different now. So goal number one, just get them to Jesus. It's actually kind of a relief. I want you right now to picture the person you love whose thinking or choices break your heart. Would you do that? Just between you and God, you don't need to say their name out loud. And as I mentioned, if you don't yet have someone that you're just praying that they'll come to Jesus, then ask God to put someone on your heart. He might put them on your mind even now or in our time together. I want you to picture that person who's thinking her choices are far from Jesus. And then I want to invite you to say this out loud with me. We'll skip where it says goal one. We'll just read that sentence, okay? So picture that person Open your heart to God. Let God know how much you want to see him reach that person. And then if you're believing this, if you want to see God do a miracle in their life, 
Join me on the count of three, and we'll just read that, little, that one little sentence together, okay? One, two, three. Just get them to Jesus. Just get them to Jesus. How? <laughs> How, John? How do I get them to Jesus? Well, here's a start. Ask them questions about their life, and don't be weird. Ask them questions about their life. I have yet to meet a single person of any age or background who does not enjoy being asked questions about themselves. Ask them what they're into and don't feel like you have to squirm at their answers. If they're not yet a believer, you should expect them to answer like not yet a believer. That's okay. Doesn't mean you're okaying it. Doesn't mean you're affirming it to simply ask them questions and find out what do they care about. And, and, you know, if it's someone you're not yet related to or whatever else, don't be weird about it, okay? But just be curious and be friendly. I've kind of got three steps here. Ask them questions and don't be weird. That was step one. Step two happens over time. You'll build trust, whether it's a coworker, a relative. Uh, for me, a lot of times it's parents of other kids on my kids' sports teams, you know? It's so like my son or daughter, they're on a soccer team. Well, there's the other parents who show up for practice, they show up for games, and you stand around and you talk. You could just small talk, and it could be a total waste, or you could ask God, which of these parents am I supposed to talk to? And I'm just going to start being intentional. There's that one dad or that one mom, and I'm going to just every time, just be, be not weird, but ask them questions about their life, be interested in them, and guess what happens? Over time, you build trust. And then as you build trust... It allows you, if you're the majority of the time talking about them, which, by the way, takes a lot of self-control, but God can help you and me, then eventually you can occasionally hint like, oh, you know, you're saying how much you're concerned about your son. I'm, you know, I'm just, personally, I'm really glad the church we're a part of has so many resources that, that are helping me and my wife as parents. And then you just kind of see what they say. Right? Sometimes people are open, sometimes they're not open. As a movement of thousands with these dynamic services every weekend, we have a tool that most Christians could only dream of. This is something as I prayed for you this week, as I processed Aaron's message last week. I remember a time I visited England on a mission trip. And, and here's a picture of what a really big church looks like in England. One service. 20 to 60 people. That's a, that's a pretty big church for a Bible-believing, Jesus-centered church in England. And I'm not saying one's better or one's worse, but here's the thing. To whom much is given, much is required. If you're nervous about, well, what if I build the relationship and then I don't know how to, you know, tell them the gospel or whatever else. One, we have pastors who can help you with that. But secondly, just start by inviting them here. There's going to be other people here who are like them who they can connect with. Be intentional where God's placed you. I want to give you a list here. Who are the people in your life who you see regularly? And you might already have that person who's on your mind, but this is good. You can even take a picture of this to look back through when you have some time with God later this week. If you've got kids on a team, who's their coach? If you're in school, who's your classmate? You probably get your hair done somewhere. Who's that person? Parent of another kid on your sports team. Barista, if you go get coffee at a regular place. A coworker who you, you see them every day or four or five days a week. A teacher or a student. 
Uh, uh, maybe it's one of your kids' teachers. And then, of course, there's family members. There's people very close to us. I wonder right now, would you tell God today that you're willing to be used by him in those lives? Let's look now. Here we are. Goal one. This is what we've learned so far. Get them to Jesus. Goal one, get them to Jesus. You might want to snap a picture of this. I've broken it down into four steps. Ask questions. Don't be weird. Build trust over time. Describe as they get to trust you and care about you a little bit, just authentically how God's at work in your life. If they're not curious, don't push it unless you sense God calling you to. Eventually, they will be curious, and then you follow through. And maybe it is a person who's so anti-Christian that they won't go to church. You still have this resource here of uh, you can come to any of our pastors. Okay, John, now what should I do when those hot-button topics arise? So I go out, John, and, you know, let's say you go to work and you start doing all these things, but the person is just, they are an outspoken fly the flag, advocate, go on the march of something that, you know, is the opposite of Christianity, and they know that, and you know that. Now, what do you do? Well, as I mentioned before, and you can take a picture of this, don't get hung up on that thing, because you're not going to expect them to change their belief about that thing unless they come to Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says. All of Romans chapter 1 says that. Remember our big idea that your mission, your calling from God, isn't to get them to agree with you on that moral issue. It's to get them to the foot of the cross. Did you know that at the end of your life, you and me will give account to God? Our salvation is through the work of Jesus on the cross. By the way, if you're new with us tonight, great series to join us for. But you should know this good news that salvation's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. You simply believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You receive it. Then you, we get into heaven based on his work, not ours. But we will, believers, we will give account to God for what we did with our lives. Now, if there's a coworker in your life or a relative or a loved one who's far from God and God's plan is to use you to reach them, you will give account to God for whether or not you ever pointed them to Jesus. But listen to this. This is so important, this distinction. You will give account for did you do your part to tell them about Jesus. You will not give account for their choice. Okay? God's will for us is to be obedient in telling people about Jesus. If people reject Jesus, it's not on us and it's not on you. And you haven't failed, by the way. If you tell someone about Jesus and they totally reject him, that's success, actually. Because your job is just to tell them and then it's their free will whether they receive him or not. Obviously, the people we know over a long time, if they reject him, we want to keep praying for them, keep telling them, keep pointing them to him. So here's kind of four ideas for you when those hot button topics arise. You might want to take a picture of this. First, don't lose sight of the real goal to get them to Jesus. Now, where this gets most difficult is uh, if it's not clear, are they a Christian or not? Maybe they say they're a Christian, but they're not really clearly following Jesus. Those are the trickiest ones. But even when that's the case, go right back to, hey, are you actually a follower of Jesus? Yes or no? And as long as the answer is no, then my real mission is to help them see Jesus and hope that they'll believe in Jesus. 
And if they say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, well, now it becomes on the other side of the cross, a discipleship issue. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But right now we're talking about these hot button topics with a non-believer. Don't get lost in the topic or the conflict. Keep the focus on getting them to Jesus. Don't argue about the issue. Don't take the bait. They're going to bait you sometimes, right? Because they know you're a Christian or they know you're conservative. They're going to bait you. Just be smart enough. Don't take the bait. When hot button topics arise, number three, do try to unearth what is the deeper heart of this person. Uh, Maybe it's a a woman who's incredibly uh, strong about pro-abortion. Well, guess what? I can guarantee you there's some reasons why she is. And some of it might have to do with some hurt in her life. Some of it might have to do with ways she's been wronged. And, And when you unearth the deeper heart, what you realize is even when someone's very opposed to you, they're probably ultimately after compassion or justice, or healing, but they've settled for kind of a false answer, or maybe an answer that only thinks of one party instead of of both parties. Instead of arguing with them about the issue, if they're not yet a believer, help them see that, guess what? I, I hear compassion in your heart. Did you know that Jesus was the expression of a God of compassion? Could I, could I sometimes show you a few passages where you see Jesus' heart of compassion. If you don't want to see him, that's okay, but would you want to see him? Unearth what is it that's motivating them. It's probably a compassion, justice, or healing kind of thing. And there's an overlap there. Even though they maybe are deceived or misled in how they're holding their opinion, they might actually have a little bit of the image of God. Every human is made in the image of God. That is a spark in there that's motivating them. Help them see Jesus as really the solution to that issue that they're so concerned about. Now, here's what you can be asking as you talk with a person and some of these hot button things come up. Be asking, what are the things that obscure their view of Jesus? And there's some people whose view of Jesus has been really obscured. I mean, horrific stuff that should never happen but is done sometimes by people who wear a cross or call themselves a Christian. And then how could you kind of remove the bushes, the debris that's between them and a clear view of the cross? And part of that's maybe you get them around some other Christians who, who they can understand and relate to. What misconception is there that you kind of need to prove, you need to prove them wrong with your actions that Christians actually are loving, actually can keep our mouths shut on occasion. You know, Christians actually do show up, actually are gentle. And if they've been through something difficult with a Christian, it's going to take a lot of time to to clear their view to the cross. But that's why we're here. Mark 2, verse 4, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole. Every one of us, we have someone we love and you can't bring them to Jesus because of something. And, and if, it, you know, what prayer, it's our dependence on God. We can't save people. We can't change people. But ask God to show you how to dig a hole. 1 Corinthians 1, tells us this was the singular obsession of the apostles. We preach Christ crucified. They didn't preach Judaism. They didn't preach anti-Romanism. They didn't preach a political party. I'm not saying that 
politics or any of that stuff is wrong. I'm not saying that. But there has to be a hierarchy. And Christ crucified is at the top. And, and I mean, that's what made Paul so effective. He just stayed obsessed on that. I preach Christ crucified. Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's no other power that can meet the deepest needs of these people and the people we love. Aaron in his book writes this, these conflicts are incredible opportunities to engage in spiritual conversations. <laughs> Talk about flipping the whole thing upside down. The very things that we're the most afraid of because people are passionate about them are in fact sometimes the opening, the inlet to say, wow, you really care about people being treated right. You know, Jesus cares about that too. I don't know what you've been told about him, but he really cares about people being treated right as well. And, and don't focus on maybe how they think we do that is wrong. Focus on the common ground so you can get them to Jesus. Here's a true story from Aaron's book from the summer of 2020 when George Floyd had been killed there in Minneapolis. And you remember it was an incredibly divisive time in our country. Well, Aaron's group, Steiger, they're based out of Minneapolis. I'm just going to read you a little excerpt of this true story. Walking with our local outreach team near the place where Floyd died, I saw buildings still on fire from the rioting the night before. I stood overwhelmed by the brokenness of this world, watching a huge crowd of mostly young people. They were crying out for justice. It struck me that they were looking for human answers to social problems that were actually spiritual problems. I turned to Sirena, a team member who is African-American, and said, hey, why don't you go up there and ask for the microphone? Sirena is very bold. She just went and asked, and they handed the microphone to her. She began by singing a song which drew the people in. Then she shared how the ultimate solution to the brokenness of the world is Jesus. People were glued to her message. She invited people to receive Jesus, and many prayed out loud on the spot. I've seen a video of this. You can hear them. Our team then spread out to listen, pray, and engage with people in spiritual conversations. I've rarely experienced people more receptive to the gospel than the young people of Minneapolis that summer. Aaron's fulfilling where God has called him to be. God's called us to be here, but there's going to be situations that arise that you think, oh, that thing is so loaded, it's so divisive, I don't want to go anywhere near it. And the reason the people are so impassioned is some deep need in them that really only Jesus can meet. I think of the passage where Jesus says, you know, if you get brought before a ruler, don't worry about what you'll say. The Spirit will tell you what to say in the moment. And that's true of these kind of conversations. Walk with God. Be ready. Be in the habit and practice of being intentional with people you meet. Asking them questions. Building trust. And then when one of these situations arises, just like what happened for Aaron and his team, God will give you the words. Paul the Apostle modeled this in Acts 17. I'm not going to teach the whole passage, but it's one where Paul, who was raised Jewish, knew the word of God. Typically, he would preach from the Bible because that's 
who he was talking to was Jewish people. But he was in Greece at a place called the Areopagus, and Paul started with what they agreed upon. They were actually polytheists. They didn't believe in one true God. And Paul didn't stand up and say, you're all wrong, there's only one true God. Now, he'll get to that. But he starts with one of their own quotes, a hymn to the God of Zeus, for we are thine offspring. And in Acts 17, 32, Paul starts there. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. He, I skipped the verse, but he started with their quote. And then those who stuck around, verse 34, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And then it gives their ancient Greek names. The point is this, when doing cross-cultural Jesus representing, don't get hung up on their sins or their false beliefs. Identify the deep problem they care about. Connect the dot of how Jesus solves that problem and present Jesus and give them an opportunity to believe. And if you don't feel like you can do all that, just bring them here and you've got a team of people to help you do all that. Then it's after they believe in Jesus that we get to goal two. After that, don't worry, there's only two, okay? After they believe, after they believe, teach them to agree with Jesus. It's called discipleship. Teach them to obey Jesus, to submit to Jesus. I'll be the first Christian to say there's certain things Jesus tells me to do that I don't like. And so I have to just choose. I'm going to agree with him. I'm going to submit to him. So here's our two goals. Goal one, get them to Jesus. That's really our, our emphasis of this series. Well, that's why Jesus left us on earth. And then goal two, teach them to agree with Jesus. They need to be taught to read the Bible, to study the Bible once they're a, a committed follower of Jesus. Sometimes I get asked, you know, does Connection Point have a statement about this political issue or that political issue? And uh, I guess the answer is yes, we have a statement. It's right here. <laughs> this is our statement. Whatever this says about an issue is what we believe, uh, but we don't publish statements typically because the, state, the statement's for people in the church. The people outside of the church just need to know, come to Jesus, and then learn to read your Bible, and you'll know what he says about all these different things. Goal two, there's three steps. I'm not going to go through them. You can take a picture. You have a new believer, get him a Bible. Get him attending here or any Bible-believing church regularly. Get them into a life-changing relationship. Goal two is happening here. We've got our Youth Worldview Initiative. I wish I had time to unpack that for you guys. I get passionate. This is a picture from a seventh grader. Last weekend, while you were in here, our seventh graders were learn learning worldview and truth. They learned about the, is the Islamic worldview, the Hindu worldview, the atheistic worldview. They learned the, the flaws of those. They learned the truth of Christianity they learn to understand how what they believe is different and how it shapes our view of every newborn baby. Is that a person made in the image of God or is it what one of these other things say? And what's fascinating is this is a handout from a seventh grader. There's misspellings all throughout it, but every blank is filled in. And I love this at the bottom in the middle. It says, what a cool identity. We're teaching them their identity in Christ because these are our kids, they're followers of Jesus. And we're a church that goes deep in teaching the truths of God, even as we're incredibly intentional and strategic and open-armed for anyone who doesn't yet know Jesus to come to God. <laughs> I love it. Does truth exist? That our, our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders went through this. 
that postmodernism is that nothing is true for all people. We all have our own truth. Obviously, that's false. And I love that our seventh graders were taught that uh, it's a self-refuting statement. <laughs> How cool that our seventh graders know what a self-refuting statement is. In other words, never use the word never, right? Didn't you just use the word never? That to say that everyone's truth is their own truth is, is just as absurd. It's self-refuting. Anyhow, okay. Bottom line is this. I want to get back to goal one. I really want us to be thinking about those people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be able to explain anything, everything. And you're part of this amazing movement where any weekend your friend can understand the message. I really want you to understand you don't have to be a pastor to do this. I'm going to close with just one last story. And it starts with a time that I was late for my haircut. I had like a regular haircut appointment. I was about six minutes late. And when I walked in at the front desk, they said, if you're more than five minutes late, your appointment's canceled. And so I could literally see through this curtain, the person who cuts my hair sitting there on their phone, but the place wouldn't cut my hair. You can imagine how I you know, responded to this. I was kind, but I just walked out the door and I said, I'm just never going to go there again for the rest of my life. I'm human, okay? So I look on my phone, like, where's, the, where's another place I can get my hair cut? And I go in and meet some person who I've never met before and then a schedule appointment for three weeks later, etc. And in that time, just would sit in the chair once a month or so, be intentional Got to know a little bit of what was going on. Just asked her questions about her life. And then she went through a really hard thing. I hadn't revealed that I was a pastor because, again, people get weirded out by that. So she's going through a hard thing. I said, hey, um, I know a, a book that really helped me about going through hard things. I just gave her a copy of that. She was going on a trip, and she, she read that book. The next haircut, she's like, oh, that book, that book changed me. I hadn't prayed in like 15 years and um, gave her a life application study Bible. She started doing daily hope, then she figured out that I was a pastor. <laughs> she started attending on weekends, and then, you know, every month she'd be, you know, I love it when Ron said this, or we'd talk about the messages. So this last August when we had baptisms, I had no idea. I just, like, finished the message, and I'm walking back there. I always go back and try to congratulate everyone, and there she is. There's Justine my hairstylist. I'm like, what are you doing here? You're, you're getting baptized? You didn't even tell me. She's like, well, yeah, you said it in the message. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. I just, I just love how God can, he can use something as simple as your haircut. I asked Justine this week if I could tell her story, and here it is in her words. She says, I hit a low point in my life, and coincidentally, you were my client during that time. You offered to bring a book to read on one of my flights. I had no idea you were a pastor at that point or that the book you were bringing was a Christian book. And it was perfect for me at that time because I just started praying again and talking to God and even thinking of God for the first time again after walking without my faith for 15 plus years. And she says, you know, essentially just the story that I told you there. My point is this. I just want to encourage you to open your eyes. We all get our hair cut, right? You, most of you work with someone, someone in your family. 
Here's my goal. What if we could get seven to 10,000 of us thinking every time we get our hair cut or every time we see a regular barista or a regular coworker, just thinking, God, how could you use me to bring them to you? And I just have this sense from God as I've prayed for you guys this week to provoke you, <laughs> to stir you up, to lead you. My goal for December is that we as a movement will invite more people to come and see Jesus every weekend in December and especially Christmas Eve services, more people than ever before in our history. We could do that, right? We could do that. It doesn't cost us anything other than just a little bit of time. Just think of the thousands of people. If we all invited someone like that, the thousands of people who would come to know Christ, the marriages that would be changed, the kids who would grow up here, kids who would grow up with a great dad instead of an alcoholic dad. My prayer for you is that you would be awakened to your role in God's outreach. Can I pray that for you right now? Father, in this place, we just thank you, Lord, that someone reached out to us. God, we thank you that you're a God who pursues the lost one. You leave the 99 to reach the one. And God, I just admit, I, I get very complacent. I get very comfortable. I get very caught up in my own life. I'm so thankful for Kevin and Jeremie and their family and for Justine. And that when I see them, I get to know I invited them. But God, there, there's probably dozens of other people I've missed the opportunity. So Lord, for myself and for all of us, we just pray that we'd not miss a single one, that we'd not be intimidated by the difficult issues, that we would just be obsessed about getting them to you, trusting you to do the rest. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.